Van Helsing. Now that you have learned what you have learned, it would be well for you to return to your own country. I prefer to remain and protect those whom you would destroy. You are too late. My blood now flows through her veins. She will live through the centuries to come, as I have lived. You're listening to Movie Sucktastic. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Movie Sucktastic. This is the part where I'm supposed to give you the number of the show, but I'm not really sure which one it is. I'm your host, Scott, and I'm filling in for Joey and Scott, as Joey is currently being tortured and probably brutally mutilated by crazed Avatar fans somewhere in the Midwest. More on that later. Um... I don't know what episode this is. I've been kind of everything's kind of blurring together these days. I'm just trying to crank stuff out as fast as I can, and as a uh, well as quality, of course, is an issue too. But I am right now hunkered down in the attic of the Wilson compound, deep within the state of New Jersey. Uh, I dare you to find me, and uh, just cranking this out. Uh, all I know is that we're deep in the teens, and that's kind of ironic because I was deep in the teens the other night really deep in the teens because I went to see the Twilight Saga 3, episode 3, Eclipse, along with the double feature of Killers, starring Ashton Kutcher and some other people. And it was not a good night, people. It was not a fun night. The, the, I, I, I kind of hope that uh, you out there listening, safe and warm in your beds, uh, protected by from the evils of bad cinema out there, appreciate what I go through to to bring you the latest bad movie news and to, to bring you reviews about bad films. I'm watching these movies so you don't have to, and I just really hope you appreciate it because I can't even begin to describe the the sleepless nights, the uh, the agonizing waking nightmares. It's it's it, it weighs heavy on the soul and is a burden on the mind. And I, I really hope that you you appreciate what I'm doing for you. Um, I want to start with a little personal news. I, uh, uh, I've got a lot of writing projects going on currently, um, and the latest one is currently done. Uh, the final proofs have gone to the publisher, and the edits will be making it to the printer sometime in uh, the next week, and then the book should be out in August. My next book coming, as you know, uh, I'm the uh, editor and co-author of Monster Rally, a book which is a collection of essays and articles on horror, sci-fi, cult films. Well, my next book coming out is specifically on Bela Lugosi. It's called Performed by Lugosi, and the the book 
takes a close look at seven films starring Bela Lugosi that were adapted from classic literature by the likes of Robert Louis Stevenson, Edgar Allan Poe, classic authors, classic, you know, very well-respected classic authors. And it takes a look at the short stories involved, the films that were created out of them, a comparison between the two, a look at Bela Lugosi in his life and time, uh, where he was in his point of his career when those films were made, and my own personal thoughts on the films and on Bela Lugosi, who, of course, I'm a huge fan of. Um... One of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because the book's coming out soon. But the other reason is that one of the most painful things for me watching the Twilight series is every time the lead character, Bella, is mentioned, her name is spoken, because I now I have not read the books. I have not read any of the trivia regarding the books. I have not read the motivations behind the books. I know that, for the most part, it's... The Anti-Anne Rice, it's a teen vampire drama romance series that is heavily based on the teachings of abstinence. And that's all I know. I know there's no sex. Uh, I noticed because I've seen the first two films and I saw the third film just the other night. So I, I, not having read any interviews with the author or behind-the-scenes stuff of the books, I'm only assuming, but I think it's a fair assumption that the female lead has been called Bella as a kind of a tip of the hat to Bella Lugosi, who, as you know, played Dracula in the original uh, Todd Browning Dracula by Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker is also uh, represented in the book performed by Lugosi coming out in August. And it hurts. It's a slap in the face every time her name is mentioned on screen because cause they, 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 it is... It, Bela Lugosi was a great man. No, I, I, I really love Bela Lugosi's performances, and I think he was very underrated for the time, and it's kind of sad the way his, his career kind of wound up in, in America. And to have him referenced in this teeny bopper, vampire light, melodramatic, schmaltzy uh, crap series that has been tainting the, the silver screen now for the past two or three years, it... it, it it really, it's really bothersome every time she's mentioned. So I, I just had to get that off my chest. Every time someone mentions Bella, Bella, it's, it's yeah, it was supposed to be Bella. It, it, it's a nod to Bella Lugosi, and I really wish they hadn't done it. You know, I, I, but that's 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 I. That, there's a there's a venom in there. There is, and I'll admit that. But I I, I will I will say that I've tried to be fair and partial towards the Twilight series. It doesn't deserve it, but I have give it a sh- that shot. So yes, my book is coming out soon, so keep an eye out. I'll be giving more updates as it goes. I'm also in the near future, I also be planning on doing a series of episodes of Movie Sucktastic in which I will be taking a look at the films that are in the book and I'll be having guest hosts on to talk with each of the films to talk with me about each of the films. So in the upcoming months, you'll be hearing Movie Sucktastic episodes about such Bela Lugosi films as The Mystery of the Marie Celeste, also known as Ghost Ship, uh, Dracula's Daughter. Uh, and there, I'll explain that later. Um, you know, The Black Cat, The Raven, and I'll be having a different guest host for each episode, and we'll go really into the, the, the deep stories behind the films and about Bela Lugosi on the screen, and I'm really looking forward to those. It'll be a whole different series. I'll be introducing you to a lot of new people, a lot of very insightful people, a lot of very uh, very involved film people, people uh, screenwriters, 
my publisher might be actually giving a voice in, uh, another film fan, uh, another writer. Yeah, I, I, um, there's going to be a nice variety of uh, maybe Joey, if we ever find out where the hell he is. Uh, also coming up to some, uh, sometime in the late fall, I believe, I, I have an article coming out in the anthology called Butcher Knives and Body Counts. And that it's an anthology of essays about slasher films. And I have one in there uh, with a bunch of other authors, over 70 authors represented in the book. More information on that will be coming out. Obviously, all this information you'll be able to find at moviesucktastic.com and on uh, my author site, smichaelwilson.com. And as always, you can reach us, well, you can reach me until Joey gets back at themovieguys at moviesucktastic.com, or you can reach me at Scott at smichaelwilson.com or you can and if also if you go to the moviesucktastic.com there are links at the bottom for our Facebook our Twitter our blog where we post our movie reviews we've recently started a community on lunch.com where I post movie reviews and we let other people post their own bad movie reviews and if we like your bad movie review that you post on lunch.com in this movie sucktastic community I we will get your permission if you if you like want us to we will print it on our blog as well and maybe even mention it or talk about it on the podcast so we're trying to get the the listeners involved and get the fans of bad movies involved in the podcast and directly through lunch.com in the movie sucktastic community uh, so, but that's just all the latest news going on. There's other stuff happening in the background too, but I don't want to bore you with too much because you're not here to listen about that. You're here to listen about, uh, you're here to listen to, uh, my insightful reviews of Killers and Twilight Eclipse. Now, as I mentioned before, I screened both of these films at Becky's Drive-In in Berlinsville, PA. You can find out more about Becky's Drive-In at beckysdi.com um, screen one the big screen went there and the, the showing was well I pulled up and ordered my ticket at the toll at the concession booth or the toll ticket booth I guess it's more like a toll booth really because you're driving by it to get in it's not like a regular movie theater ticket booth so I pulled up to the ticket booth and uh, tell the chubby uh, not chubby heavy set goth girl behind the window that I am uh looking to purchase a ticket to Twilight Eclipse. And she takes my money and says, she asks me the question. She asks, Team Jacob or Team Edward? She wasn't trying to mock me. She was smiling and happy and friendly, and I'm sure she was actually trying to just share in the moment. Uh, I, she had no way of really knowing the the shame that came with being asked that question. I should not be asked that question. No, no male in their middle ages or even in their early late thirties should be in a position that they have to be asked that question. This is not a question meant for adult males. This is a question meant for twelve to eighteen or twenty-three year old girls, women, she didn't know how much it hurt me just to ask that. Uh, so I wasn't rude, but I, I told her, I explained to her that really neither team was meant for me because I was here to review the film and I was reviewing it because I was pretty sure it was going to be bad. And I, it didn't really sink in. She gave me the ticket back and, and she asked, she, you know, greeted 
greeted, sent me on my way by saying, uh, enjoy the film, and I had to tell her, I, most likely not, but thank you anyway. And uh, that's that's really how the, the my whole evening began. The place was swarming by the time the screen lit up at 9 o'clock, and tons of uh, cars full of teenage girls... Uh, not as bad as being cramped in a movie theater. That's why I love the drive-in because you're in your own car. There's, you you can build boundaries between yourself and the rest of the viewers. Uh, which, because the one drawback is the, the drive-in is really a uh, like a, a group community thing. You all go together. It's like going to the park to see a band. It's really a, it's like a community thing. You're all together. You're all in lawn chairs in front of your cars and you're you're talking. You're walking past each other. And it's really a, about getting out there with the people and with the community. And the only problem with that is that I don't like people that much, uh, at least in the sense of movies being around them, because they tend to ruin the film. So that's a drawback for me, but it wasn't that bad tonight. There were a couple of guys walking around actually dressed like a vampire from the Twilight series, uh, black shirts, and, and well, yes, well, yeah, they were black shirts, but they actually had the, the that's my pager going off, ha-ha. Uh, I'm not making any edits this time, guys. I'm I'm talking right through it. There is no going back. If if the phone rings, I'm answering it. You can listen to my phone call. I don't care. Um, these guys had the white, fate, like pale makeup on too. They were really going and had the hair kind of teased in that angsty Edward way. Uh, nobody walking around without their shirts like Jacob. I I don't think the the main viewing audience of Twilight is probably in the kind of shape that they would walk around without their shirt like Jacob did. Um, just talking about these characters. In their in first name kind of relationship just bothers me. Now the the tw- double feature was of course Twilight and Killers. Twilight came first, but I'm pretty sure that most of you listening in are listening in for the Twilight review and not Killers. So I'm going to start with Killers first. That's a little bait and switch there for you. Uh, I really think Killers should have been first uh, on the on the screen too because it's kind of like showing the cartoon before the major film. You know, kind of a warm-up. Kind of, okay, get happy and, you know, at least a little... Cause, and also, Twilight's a long film. Killers is much shorter. So they really, you know, it's, it's like... It, they should have worked their way up to the big drama with a little light-hearted, you know, uh, hired assassin-type humor. So I'm going to start with uh, Killers first. Now, Killers, as you all know, is an a- Ashton Kutcher film, and I'm not one of the guys out there bashing Ashton Kutcher... I I enjoyed him in that '70s show, and he's he hasn't done that many great films, but you know he's just he's doing light film, and I I am a huge fan of Dude Where's My Car, so I don't want to hear it. That was probably that was a, really a great remake of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and if the pro- production the producers hadn't leaned on the director and not allowed him to actually make the stoner comedy that that was what it was supposed to be, it probably would have been better than it was, but. No, I, I will not hear the uh, I will not hear the um, the mocking of Ashton Kutcher. It's, it's, he's just like he's just like any other young hot celebrity actor. He's going to do some cheesy stuff. He's going to try to do some serious acting, and you got to take it for what it's worth. It's like Brendan Fraser. Yeah, you can make fun of Brendan Fraser all you want, but you know the guy's making billions of dollars. I'm and I, and I enjoy half of his films, half of them. And Brendan Fraser has actually done some good movies. But I'm going to stop talking like that because it's it's really probably working against me right now. But uh, so uh, I'll give I'll give you the IM, IMDb summary of Killers. So a vacationing woman meets her ideal man, leading to a swift marriage. Back at, now here's the problem with that. That right there should tell you that the 
killer. The problem with killers is the first act is useless. But let me. It, the first act is useless. But let me. Let me just continue. So a vacationing woman meets her ideal man, leading to a swift marriage. Back at home, however, their idyllic life is upset when they discover their neighbors could be assassins who have been contracted to kill the couple. Now, if the killers has any major issue, it's that it's not a new concept. The whole idea of the the husband and or wife be actually being a contract killer or a covert secret agent for the government is not new. And the problem is when you attack a new something like something like that, a concept that has been done in the past, you need to bring something new to the table. And the killers really didn't. Now, before I review killers, I'm going to give you a little example of what I'm talking about. Five certain films popped in my head while watching Killers as far as this kind of theme. Obviously, the first thing that pops up is Mr. and Mrs. Miller. Uh, sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That's a different film. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, of course, with uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, uh, Vince Vaughn playing Vince Vaughn. And uh, as, as you know, that was just your your big budget, uh, let's get Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt half-naked at various parts of the film with a lot of action. And the concept between that film is... Is a married couple doesn't they don't realize oh you know they they've been married so long they don't realize that the the other person is a covert CIA agent and they've been keeping it from each other ever since they got together and um, it was dark enough the action was good the problem was it was probably just a bit too long and the the ending is very anticlimactic and doesn't really uh, address anything so it was really kind of like a long walk for a short drive if you know what I mean. Uh, so you've got Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which came out in 2005. So we're going five years back now. Now, uh, then what com- comes to mind for me, and this has kind of been like an under-the-radar, I don't think many people remember this one, way back from 1993, was Undercover Blues with Kathleen Turner and Dennis Quaid. And they played a, a married couple who were secret agents for the government way back when they met, but now they're retired and they have a baby. But then they get t- caught up in some kind of espionage thing. So the whole idea of the film is that they're trying to uh, track down this kind of s- espionage, secret agent stuff, while pretending that they're not, because they're not allowed to, because they're retired. And they have their baby in tow. Uh, actually, Stanley Tucci is great in it, because Stanley Tucci plays a, a, a Latin street thug called Moret- Muerte. I, I try to do the Spanish accent, and it fails horribly, and I, I do apologize to the Latin population for my lousy attempt at it, but his name is Muerte, and uh, they keep calling him Morty, and he keeps trying to mug them, and they keep embarrassing him, and it's, it's Stanley Tucci, he's funny, I've always had a soft spot for Dennis Quaid, Kathleen Turner, you know, hit and miss, I, I think, but it was a fun film, and it, they really managed, it It was really kind of a light-hearted comedy, no, you know, nothing really too dramatic, it was really meant for family, uh, so then we fast forward a few years, then you've got Gross Point Blank in 1997, a personal favorite. Uh, I am a huge, huge John Cusack fan. Two thousand that movie, two thousand and tw- was it two thousand twenty one, two thousand twenty. That really underlined the true point, which is that when the world ends, John Cusack must survive and carry on the name of the human race because he is only he is fit to do so. And you know, it was John Cusack, Mini Driver, and uh, Dan Aykroyd played the the anti-villain, and so he's a, he's a hitman who goes back to his high school reunion and he tries to, and he's you know hiding from everybody that he is a hired assassin. Actually, he doesn't even hide it that much. He kind of tells some people, 
and at the end he reveals it. But it's again, it kind of plays the whole idea too. But you know, a, a person with a secret life going back and meeting his his past, and uh, why he has his own hidden past. So that was played there, and that was a dark comedy, very dark comedy, uh, very well done. Pro- you know, dark comedies are hard to do. They, sometimes it's hard to pull it off. Um, then you fast forward another couple, another year or two to 1998 to the big hit, and that's the one where you've got uh, you got Mark Wahlberg, and I think the hit is the big hit is the first film I saw Mark Wahlberg in that I liked him. Uh, I'm, I'm now I don't I haven't seen his films in the sequence that they were made, so I probably. All I remember is that it was the first time I ever recognized him and actually enjoyed him in a film. So I don't know if it was the first Mark Wahlberg film I saw or just the first one I noticed him in. Why is that not muted? And uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is in it. Christina Applegate, uh, great cast. And again, he's a hitman who's kind of hiding it from his wife and his uh, in-laws. And there's an unhappy relationship there. And then, of course, there's a kidnapped girl a la uh, The Transporter. The Transporter is pretty much uh, the big hit over and over again and well except without the whole family thing and again you had the you had the same thing there whereas okay now he's trying to cover the fact that he's a hitman and you know but then then his family gets indirectly involved with the whole situation and, and it's been done before now and i'm going to go and i'm going to rewind a bit we're going to go all the way back to 1983 to the sam peckinpah film the osterman weekend and this this is important because this comes down to where Killers could have been a good film. And I'm going to leave you hanging with the Osterman Weekend and go right to Killers. So the basic concept of the Killers, as I just read it, was is that Christian Slater meets, uh, oh, let me look her up. Hagel, right? Something Hagel? Ashton Kutcher. Catherine Hagel. Yeah, whatever. And so, I mean, I mean the first act of this film is worthless, bad screenwriting and the dialogue's horrible too it's supposed to be kind of bad like they kind of play it off like oh you know they, they kind of it's kind of thing where they try to play it off that the characters are just coming up with cheesy lines but what happened here is just this bad screenwriting from beginning to end of act one and uh Catherine Hagel has just been dumped by her boyfriend and again they squeeze so much backstory into the first five minutes she got dumped by her geeky boyfriend who wasn't that good looking anyway and so she's on vacation with her parents and she bumps into these suave handsome debonair uh debonair debonair uh Ashton Kutcher who for the first 10-15 minutes of the film sounds like he's dubbed and I'm not saying he was dubbed but he's trying to do like a deeper voice like he's trying to be the the serious man he's trying to He's really trying to play the the, the, the strong silent type, and it it sounds like he's dubbed. The whole I just keep saying, it, it, is it somebody else doing his voice? No, no, he just sounds so like the voice does not belong to the body, especially for people that have you know gotten to know Ashton Kutcher from his other films or TV show, whatever. And so of course she falls for him instantly, and he's actually performing a job. He's a hitman. They show behind the scenes, and he quits then and there because he wants to be with her. And this is whole setup. And then we cut to three years later, that and they're in suburbia, and they're a happily married couple, and they both have their own jobs. This whole opening was a waste of time. It was a complete waste of time. They could have started in suburbia and introduced the characters and then somehow filled in the backstory for Ashton Kutcher's character, and it could have been kind of a surprise in the film. It could have, like They really could have worked it in and could have been a gradual reveal. Like You kind of, you kind of learn just as the wife's learning 
And instead, they, they, the, the whole beginning is almost like, like, like a, an edited scene out of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's just that really cheesy, romantic comedy crap that there's really nothing there. Uh, the, the, whole, the, the best part of the entire... Actually, uh, Catherine O'Hara steals the show, I think. She plays the, the alcoholic mother of Catherine Hagel. And, uh, oh, and Tom Selleck, of course, plays the father. And Tom Selleck, one of the few men that I will allow to wear a mustache uh, and even make a comment of the sexy Tom Selleck mustache because Tom Selleck wears a mustache like nobody else does, folks. And, but Catherine, Catherine O'Hara, I mean, the comic timing and the subtle expression, she, she is a pro when it comes to, the, the, you know, that kind of facial humor and char- she, she, steals, she, she steals the movie every time she's in a scene. And she's actually not even in that many scenes, which you know you really you have to do when you're a backup character is taking away that much uh, you know screen time. She she really steals the show. Uh, and so what happens is three years later, Ashton Kutcher's uh, called by his old boss, and all of a sudden he finds out uh, when one when his when one of his uh, one of the people in their lives tries to kill him that. A $20 million bounty has been put on his head, and almost everybody in their lives is actually a CIA plant sleeper agent that's been waiting for the moment to kill him. Now, this is where, and, and like half these people live in their neighborhood, and half of them work with him, and this is where the film could have been something good. This is where, and the screenwriter, by the way, uh, the there's two screenwriters on this, uh, it, the... It, there's a there's a story credit and a screenplay credit by Bob DeRosa, and normally I would say that means that was the guy who had the good ideas, and then the other other screenwriter kind of just like don't tone it down. But Ted Griffin, who uh, is the other sc- screenwriter credited for screenplay, he is the screenwriter of one of my favorite dark comedies ever, Ravenous. The one probably the best dark comedy cannibal film. Civil War era that you've ever seen. It just I, if you have not seen Ravenous, I think it came out in 1999. I recommend seeing it right away. Uh, so I really have to give credit for all the stuff I did like in the film to him. But this is where the film really could have been something special if they had played it a bit darker. Because the surprising thing about the killers is that the action sequences are actually quite good. They're, the fight sequences are well choreographed. There's a ch- car chase through a suburban town that is really better than it should be. And uh, there aren't that many gunfights, but the ones that are ha- that do happen are fairly, done fairly well, too. The direction of this film, uh, when it came to the action sequences, was very well done. It almost leads me to believe that the director, who I have not looked into, I uh, didn't do any research on the director... I could probably do it real quick while I'm talking to you. It feels like he was he was hired for the action stuff, but didn't really. And he now he has done like practically nothing. Uh, he did the Ugly Truth and uh, Monster in Law. Oh God, uh, I take it back. I, I, th- <laughs> I think it's actually a surprise that the action sequences were as good as they were. And it seems like he was hired because he's done the the cheesy uh, romantic comedy stuff in the past. And so I'm even more surprised. The action sequences were quite good. And there is death in the film. And, and oh, and uh, as far as stealing the movie, too, another problem is I, when you're watching a film, it's really 
you don't Ashton Kutcher and Catherine Hegel, 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 don't really seem to get what kind of film this could be. They're really not going for dark. They're kind of going for, well, you know, when Ashton Kutcher isn't going for a goofy comedy like that '70s show, he's going for action poses, and it's easy. He's either posing for the cover of uh, GQ Quarterly or he's uh, dumbing it up for laughs. And I'm, I'm not knocking either of those. He's obviously good at both. And Catherine Heigl just seems to be pulling out all the stops for some kind of slapstick comedy. But And anybody who watches The Daily Show knows Rob Riggle. And he really sets the tone for what this movie could have been, which is a dark comedy. He's funny. He plays off the comedy. But then when it goes serious, the humor just kind of like fades into darkness. And it doesn't go there all the way but there's that level where he, he takes it down a notch so it's kind of a dark humor but doesn't he never descends into pure uh camp and he never descends into pure darkness it's really i mean you know this is not somebody you consider a, i think the last one i saw him in was when he played the cop in the the hangover this is not somebody who i would call you know could would consider a serious trained actor but he pulls it off perfectly and if kutcher and hegel heigel huggle 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 muggle had played it the way he did, if the director had demanded that kind of performance from them, if the director has to be blamed for this kind of stuff, this could have been a really good film. If you had cut off the beginning and started off with just a normal family and, and spent a bit more time introducing the neighborhood, that's the thing too, because pretty much you, you meet all their friends and their co-workers and stuff, you pretty much meet them once. And then everything happens, and all of a sudden they're all trying to kill him. If you had, if they had spent that first 15, 20 minutes of the film getting to know them and setting up more of a base for under for you know, for thinking that you they really think they know these people, it would actually be a bit more of a shock or a bit more uh, impact more of an impact when suddenly they're all trying to kill them because there's a bounty on his head, and the film just misses it totally. They don't see the, I mean, just because you. When you take it that way, you're making a commentary about suburbia, about your neighbors, and do you really know your neighbors, and how there's a fine line between you know, know knowing so, someone next door and actually knowing who they are and what their motivations are, and there's and considering the fact that Ashton Kutcher's character is, you know, you know, keeping this past away from his wife, you also raise the issues of uh, you know people keeping secrets and exactly you know how do you know who someone is, even you know, when the relationship is with your coworker or the relationships with your neighbor or the relationships with your spouse, you know, exactly what is it that you don't know? And the it talks it's about a, you know, the the facades we all put up in daily society and in personal life. And there's a lot of depth to that concept and they blew it. They blew it for cheap laughs. They blew it for uh, you know, cheap jokes and and I've always said that the, the only part of Mr. and Mrs. Smith that I actually found humorous, that I actually enjoyed, was uh, when they after they have this big that big fight where they tear apart the whole house. I found that boring as hell. But then the next day when they get together and all of a sudden there all these hitmen descend upon them and they're escaping. And while they're escaping on this high speed chase and gunfight, they're revealing to each other all the lies from the past decade or so that they've told each other, and. I found that scene humorous, and I thought it was well done, and I thought it, you know, that was the part, that's what the film should have been about, and that's what this film should have been about, and they lost it. Now, I mentioned the Osterman weekend before, and you're going to get a whiplash now for me bringing this back up so quick. The Osterman weekend 
what did I say, 1983? Based on a uh, Robert Ludlum novel. I, I tried to get, read the Robert Ludlum novel after I watched the film, and I only watched the film because Sam Peckinpah directed in his waning years, and Rutger Hauer stars. And it is really a, it, it's really a hard, and I won't get too much into it, because this movie deserves a, a review in its own right, but it's a very convoluted film, and Sam, Sam Peckinpah's directorial uh, gravitas, whatever you want to call it, is really waning at the high, end of this, and, and it's like, if you didn't know it was Sam Peckinpah, the only way you'd be able to tell is because of the slow motion shots during the action sequences. And, but the main focus of the film is that the Osterman character, no, it's not even the Osterman character, is it? That's the confusion, too, because the, like the Osterman wasn't even the main character. Yeah, Osterman's not even the main character. Uh, Rutger Howard plays John Tanner, and he, he's a, new, a, a television reporter, and he's approached by the CIA, and he's told that these he, he has this, they have this Osterman weekend they call it, where they all get together as him and his wife and three other couples that they've known for all these years, and they always get together and, and rent they have this they have this cabin or this area that they rent and they they vacation for a week with each other, and he's approached by the government and told that well all your friends are sleeper agents and uh, we need you to dig the dirt on them because they're going to try to kill you. And it doesn't really, the, even the setup doesn't even make much sense. But all, what really happens is that he gets together with these friends and he tries to, to, to bait them into confessing what they're doing or something. It's really kind of hard to follow, not because it's complicated, but because it's illogical. And But the uh, the focus of it was about, now, and oddly enough, Peckinpah changed the focus of the film and tried to make it about television and how television is taking over American lives, which just makes things even more complicated for the film. And I won't get too much more into it, like I said. But the, the but the focus of the film was kind of for a while, and should have been for the most of it, was what Killers was. Where that you know, how much how well do you know your friends, your close friends? And when the fit hits the shan, uh, oh no no I gotta say shit hits the fan because I need to get our um, no you know what no too late now. All right, I was I was going to try to avoid the uh, the um, language warning, whatever is mature audiences, but screw it, fuck. Um, the whole point was, you know, how do you know them when if it's the Shan? Do you really know how they're going to react and where loyalties lie? And that's where Killers should have come from, and that's where Killers would have been a great screenplay. And there are certain scenes in the in the film that just hint at that. They just hint. And not because the, the director or screener just did the job properly, but because it's almost unavoidable, and the film just misses it by a mile. Uh, now, it's a bad movie, but is it painful? No. Uh, I probably would have put it on the finger list before watching it, but after watching it, honestly, it's bearable. It's bearable because the action sequences are good, and Tom Selleck and Catherine... Uh, Oh, my mind skips so quickly uh, in shows for the time. Catherine O'Hara, they're good too. Rob Riggle's great in it. It's got a great supporting cast. Uh, but the, the, again, the main problem is they, they're cranking these films out so quick and they don't even give them a chance to become what they could be. And if they had risked a P... Uh, what is it? Was it? Was it I'm, I, I'm guessing automatically that the film was a PG-13. And if I check, I'm probably right. Uh... Yeah, PG-13. If they had risked an R rating for it and just gone a little darker with the violence, then you would have had... And by the way, that's a PG-13 with you know maybe like just enough sexual innuendo or 
skin, you know, partial skin just to make it worthwhile, and then just enough death on screen that you couldn't get away with a PG. But it's, it's really not a... It's a very soft PG-13, folks. Um, if they had gone for an R and gone for a truly dark comedy and lost the first 15, 20 minutes... 15, I say 15 minutes of the film, and really just made it about what I just discussed, about identity and facades and secrets and relationships and suburbia... It, it, there's so much they could have done with it, and they just dropped. And the ending sucks too, by the way. The ending it, it ends so abrupt that you're just left wondering: well, did they run out of cash, or they, honestly, did they just ran out of ideas? And oh, and by the way, twist ending. If if you don't see this twist ending coming, then you've you've got issues. Uh, you might have been hit on the head recently, and you don't realize it. Um, you might actually be suffering from some kind of nutritional deficiency that is affecting your judgment. Have someone else drive home and see your nutritionist or doctor physician the next day because you know this could if it, you might nip it in the bud now if you you know get some serious help but other than that it's not even worth mentioning as a twist ending and uh, so that was how i ended the evening how did i begin the evening you already know i'm i'm teasing something that i've already told you which is uh, almost as pointless as the first 15 minutes of killers or almost as pointless as twilight eclipse I think I would like to start my review of Twilight Eclipse or Twilight 3 or the Twilight Saga Eclipse. You know, one of the 15 different ways you can describe this film. I'd like to start it off by mentioning one of uh, the Movie Sucktastic Facebook fans uh, by the name of Mary Lou Daw. She posted the other day that, uh, and she admitted, I, I asked if I could quote her on the show, and she admitted that she actually got this joke from somewhere else online. So it's not hers originally, but I heard it through her, so I told her I'd give her credit for it. Uh, but on the Facebook movie, Sectastic, she did point out that Twilight's like soccer. They run around for two hours, nobody scores, and it's billions of fans say you just don't understand. And I laughed at that because I'd just seen the movie the night before, and they really summed up to a T my feelings about Twilight Eclipse. Now, I guess I can go with the official... Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm referencing IMDb here, obviously, because it's just the quickest way to do this stuff. Uh, the plot, as as mentioned by IMDb... Uh, oh, oh, by the way, it, it, uh, the tagline of, of Eclipse was, It all begins with a choice. Unfortunately, my choice was to watch the film. And that's really the choice it comes down to. Um, we'll see, the plot, as of IMDb, is... A str- as a string of mysterious killings grips Seattle, Bella, whose high school graduation is fast approaching, is forced to choose between her love for vampire Edward and her friendship with werewolf Jacob. Okay, the film starts with a poem by Robert Frost. I don't know if the book begins with a poem by Robert Frost, but when the Film started. Oh, and but it doesn't really start. There's a little clip in the beginning of something, but when the, when you hear Bella reciting Frost's Fire and Ice poem, uh, my I, my first reaction was just to slap my head against the uh, dashboard. It's the only thing I can think of that's worse for a schmaltzy teen romance drama film. Then starting with the reading of poetry, 
is starting with the reading of Robert Frost poetry. And of course, let's go with Fire and Ice. Let's pick the one poem that every high school drama queen decides to memorize because it's only like 12 or 15 lines long, and it's really not that hard to memorize. So, of course, she's reading it from a book, too, so which, I, 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 you know, she's probably too angsty that she memorize anything. Uh, it, it's really downhill from there. And, of course, the, the parallel I know is supposed to be the choice between Fire and Ice, which would be the cold, dead Edward, and the warm animal Jacob. And it's it, right there, the film's slapping you... I, it, I can't make any references to the book because I refuse to read them because I don't like the movie, so why the hell should I read the book? So if I'm making fun of something in the movie and your reaction is, but that's how it was in the book, I don't care. And if it is how it was in the book, then screw the book too. Just using that as the opening and kind of drawing the parallel between this, the poem and her, the choice she has to make is a big slap in the face, and it's all down the hill from there. From there, of course, it's, it's all the... Uh, all the high school stuff. Uh, uh, the, you gotta love the Twilight series because Bella's high school friends get less and less screen time the further the story goes. Like it, it's everything, but everything is phased out. Uh, I, I think they, I think her high school friends that aren't vampires got about five minutes combined of screen time this time around. Uh, I can't. And there's no reason to really go through the first two films. Uh, you can check out earlier podcasts when I talked about them. I think I even have some YouTube podcast, YouTube videos of my reviews of those. I didn't do one this time because I really don't have the time right now to do video stuff. But as with the first two films, the real focus of this movie is Bella's choice between abusive boyfriends. On the one hand, she really loves Edward the the bloodthirsty monster who has continually told her that he's afraid to have any kind of intimate contact with her because he really would like the killer. But he doesn't, which is awfully sweet and romantic. Or she could go with Jacob, the the half-man, half-beast with the brute animal instincts who is afraid of what he would do to her because he's so passionate and and it fills him with rage and violence. Uh, so there's that threat of physical harm there, which is illustrated by his brother or cousin, I forget which, uh, their wife, who actually has the scars on her face when he snapped one time and pretty much slashed her face open with his claws. So this is her choice. This is this... Uh, young girl's choice and it's so hard to choose which boy you want to risk your life with and uh oh there's there's a really touching part of the film uh i'd say end of the second act beginning of the third uh the time kind of flies together so, you know it's like the second half of the film somewhere where they're together alone in a room and and bella is practically begging edward for sex and but he 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 tells her you know it's it's dangerous because when it, when you when I'm aroused I, I want to you know kill you and drink your blood and her response is pretty much it's okay no 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 we'll, let's try anyway and right there I really I mean I wanted Bella dead in the first film I really wanted her dead in the second but that scene right there which also by the way is probably 
is, and I'm being, saying this sarcastically, that scene is probably the hottest, fully clothed, non-sex scene I've ever seen. It starts off as a sex scene. Kind of. I mean, like, it starts off the same kind of thing. As, oh, yeah, we're on a bed, and you know what I want? I want you. I want you, too. And they start groping at each other's clothing, and they get and and, and, there's little, and the music swells, and this is where the sex scene montage happens. And instead of the sex scene montage, they roll around the lot and rub each other's clothing a lot, and they both unbutton each other's shirts halfway, and then it's like, well, you know what? That's probably as far as we should go. And this is probably romantic to all the teenage girls in the audience, but for all the poor teenage boys dragged to this film with their girlfriends, this is the one shot they got at enjoying this film. So, okay, we, at least I get a little glimpse of skin or something. No, you're not going to see anything. Uh, uh, the actress that plays Bella, uh, I, I will find out. I, I know I'm supposed to know that. Kristen Stewart probably has gone the longest in a teen romance heartthrob drama type series without actually even showing a substantial amount of cleavage, let alone any major skin. Uh, you you see you see you see Edward half naked more than you see anything out of Bella and Jacob. Forget about it. I mean, it's actually kind of sad. Uh, it's actually kind of really sad. <laughs> uh, who is the actor that plays Jacob? All the girls say, "Hey, let me know." I have no idea. Do they even have the name here? Now, now, why would? Why would IMDb not have Jacob's name like second on the list here? I mean, there's Riley, there's Bella, there's Edward, there's Charlie, there's Eric, there's Jessica, there's Mike, there's Angela, there's Jasper. Is his name other than Jacob? Am I missing something? I thought it was Team Jacob and Team Edward. Is his real name? No, I, this is bizarre. I'm just going to keep going because this is starting to bother me now. I, I thought he would be like second in line here. Unless I just rolled by his name. I mean, is it? it's not Riley, is it? That doesn't make any sense. No, it's not Riley. That's the uh, that's like the lead. That's the that's the bad guy. That's Robert Pattinson. Oh, you. This is one of those films where literally, it's mind numbing. I mean, if the book's like this, I don't know why Stephanie. What's her? Oh, Stephanie Meyer. Mayer. My. I don't know why she's getting any credit as a good good author. If this is the kind of lame crap she's pulling out of her ass. Uh... In the first half hour, you've got the the father. You know the 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 they meet the father who's the cop, and he's talking with these parents. Says, "Oh, their their son has been missing for over a year, and they've been trying every day." And ironically, this happens just at the same time that the audience is aware that this young boy is like recruiting young vampire mongrels for some kind of bizarre army. And oh, more on more on the army nonsense. And that's bad enough. That that's like okay, you know, we could have gotten, we could have figured that out without you leading us with the cop, is with the cop father telling us about it as well. You really didn't need that to underline it. And the girls in the audience probably aren't paying attention to the plot anyway, so I don't even know why you're bothering. But then later on, she's invited to this the the Indian slash werewolf uh, powwow, and there they tell these the story one a story random story from the past about the history of the of the, the American Indian slash werewolves. And of course the story is about a vampire who attacks uh, a loved one and 
the werewolf is trying to uh, the werewolf is trying to uh, the American Indian slash werewolf is trying to attack this vampire. So the non supernatural beast wife, who is standing aside watching, cuts herself in an effort to distract the vampire so that the the uh, so her husband can be victorious over this powerful creature. And even as you're watching it, you're thinking the thought comes to mind is, oh, I, I wonder what Belle is going to be doing in about an hour and a half or so. Uh, I'm guessing slicing herself open somewhere. And if, if I'll give you a spoiler. I'm not even giving you a spoiler on that because if you don't see that coming, I'm sorry. You're just, you just, you don't deserve to be watching movies. You should be sitting home watching uh, iCarly. But it's that kind of really ham-fisted plot advancement. And, and everyone that has a flashback in this film the flashback is like really important to the plot. And I don't mean like oh, there's there's a subtle subtext of a story. No, every flashback shown in the film is really important to the plot. As in, they just took the, the a section of the plot and rewrote it in Victorian times or in Civil War times and showed it again, just in the, under the pretense of foreshadowing. It's not foreshadowing if you literally tell us what's going to happen. Foreshadowing is when you give a hint or a clue or a suggestion or you place the seed of thought so when it happens later you go, oh, they mentioned something like that earlier. It's Foreshadowing is not when you say, yes, yes, this is what's going to happen in half an hour to an hour, but we're telling you now so you're not overly shocked. Or we're explaining it to you in detail now because it really doesn't make much sense to begin with. A little frustrating. Can someone please tell me why every shot that takes place in Seattle has to have the Space Needle in it? Literally, every other shot from Seattle, there's like got to be the Space Needle background. We get it. They're in fucking Seattle. You mentioned it. You told us Seattle. Every time a character mentioned what's going on with the mass killings happening in Seattle, I don't need the Space Needle. I don't need a major landmark. You've told me what's happening. I mean, when you're when you're doing something in Washington, D.C., and you mention Washington, D.C., but then you show the White House later, that's different. That's kind of like you have to show it because you mentioned Washington, D.C. It's fucking Seattle. Just say Seattle. We're, we're, uh, why? Why do we have to see the space needle every time? That, you know, and that, that leads me to, to the director. Uh, I, I'm actually a fan of the director. Uh, it hurts. David Slade did 30 Days of Night. And I loved 30 Days a Night. You can't think of a film more brutally violent about vampires. And he also did uh, Hard Candy, which I have yet to see, and I've been told excellent things about it. The trailer impressed the hell out of me. I've been dying to see it since I saw the trailer. Uh, And I like the fact that before he got signed up to do Eclipse, he was apparently asked about whether he'd do a Twilight movie, and he had pretty much said, no fucking way. And then he got signed to do Twilight, and then apparently said, no, no, when I said that, I was joking for a comedy bit. I was just kidding around. I was trying to be funny, because I knew that was coming up, and I thought it'd be funny to deny it, to say something slanderous about a film I'd later be directing. So, uh, David Splade spread his legs for the cash. And I don't have a problem with that, because if someone offered me as much as they're paying him... Uh, probably paid him. To, I, I'm not going to look it up. I'm sure that he got an ass load of money to do it. 
And if someone was paying me that much cash, uh, I can't even... There's there's probably a very, very short list of things I would not do, and directing a Twilight film is not one of them. You know, I, I <laughs> If that money was offered to me, I would now be making the circuit exclaiming the brilliance of Stephanie Meyer and how I was very proud to, br- <laughs> to bring her image to the screen. Let's not be coy. But at the same time, let's let's call let's call horror horror. Uh, he, he did probably one of the darkest vampire films of the decade, Thirty Days of Night, and a great comic book adaptation. Probably in the top ten, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and then he did Twilight Eclipse. And there's my pager again. Please ignore it. So, you no, know, I'm not turning it off, people. Uh, he, <laughs> there are, there are, as you, as you heard in the plot and on the trailers, the whole idea is this, this mass army of vampires. The the mass army of vampires is about twenty, and but but they're so powerful that they're that they they're like as strong as a hundred men. Which since they're up against other vampires, it's really kind of rings how they actually spend a good five minutes in the film explaining to you why they only have twenty vampires in this army. And the try it's really nice when a film tries to rationalize how illogical it sounds, and they have to explain to an audience ahead of time. No, really, it does, I know it doesn't look like much, but but twenty. Uh, fresh vampires, I think they call them like like newborns, like that. It's like no, really, twenty twenty of these guys is really really impressive and really hard to fight. So you know the fact that there's not like a hundred or so of them shouldn't deter you from thinking that it's not an army and just like a football team of vampires against a, a baseball team of vampires. You know, it's just they're they're out. <laughs> the 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 good guys are outnumbered, not even two to one. But because they're bad vampire or young vampires, it makes the difference, and that's that's what really saddens. Because it didn't occur to me until near the end of the film, near the end of the near the end, because you got the climactic fight sequence. Like, wait a minute, there were two action scenes in this film, technically, and I don't remember actually feeling like I was watching an action film. The first action scene was really just five vampires and a couple of werewolves chasing another vampire through the woods it was it was really closer to the uh the land speeder chase from uh return of the jedi than anything else except with pasty pale people and and horrible horribly oversized cgi werewolves with no genitalia by the way great call uh, the only thing worse than vampires with no, no nipples and van helsing is werewolves with no genitalia in the twilight series Good call. Uh, and then there's the big battle sequence between the hero vampires, the the good guys. By the way, all all good vampires wear sweaters. That's how you can tell them apart from the bad vampires who wear jean jackets and stuff. Uh, it's really like the Huxtables versus the street gang from West Side Story. It's pathetic. Uh, yeah, and then the fight sequence happens, and then... They, they don't dwell too long. The fight sequence is probably only about three minutes long because you can't dwell too long in that because we need to have this big showdown between the redhead and Bella and Edward and Jacob, and it's really just kind of annoying. Oh, and they, the film <laughs> the film also takes a good ten minutes to set up the concept that a woman would actually use the emotions of a foolish male to manipulate him to do her bidding. And... 
uh, you really didn't need to take the time film. This is not a new concept. Not only is it a new concept, but it's not even that much of a surprise. It's not even something you have to, to worry about being... A, it's probably the most realistic part of the film, I would say, is the idea of uh, a, a powerful female character just just uh, leading leading some male character around by his prick until uh, he dies a gruesome death. It's happened in the past, believe it or not. Uh, that, but they spent 10 minutes to set that up. They spent, half of the film was spent setting up stuff that you didn't need to set up because it was either so blatantly obvious or so understandable that it, there's no need. It, this, folks, this, this film hurt me on so many levels. Uh, it was funny, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, watching J- the Jacob guy. Why can't I find this guy's name? He was in the goddamn movie. The Jacob guy, right? Uh, don't make me pause this to find his name. Because if his name's Jacob, how come I can't... Does he have a real name? Uh, this is bullshit. Forget I don't give a shit what his name is. The shirtless guy with the eyes too close together and the really... I kept... The guy's nose. What's with his nose? It's really thick. It looks like he has trouble breathing through his nose. I guess that's why his mouth... Like he, I think the fact that he always has like a shit-eating grin or something like that mischievous grin is because he's hiding the fact he's a mouth breather because you really can't draw any serious air through those two tiny melon, uh, like cauliflower nostrils of his. And, and, and on a big drive-in movie screen, those nostrils are just... It looks... I don't think you could get like the tip of a pencil in there. I, I don't know how he's breathed. He must snore like something awful. And every shot, he's shirtless, and it's really not mentioned by anybody in the film that you know, dude, do you, you really need? Do you do you have a shirt? We'll get you one. But I, I mentioned that in the past too. Apparently, the rules for for werewolves is that all werewolves are American Indians and are only allowed to wear cut off jeans. That's the rule. Uh, and there was a female werewolf in this one, which I thought was weird because I didn't think there were any female werewolves, and I don't know how that works into the whole bestial thing. Um, I mean, it makes sense that there would be, but I don't know. I, for for the first two films, they never really played it up like there, there was such a thing as a female werewolf. Uh, kind of reminds me of The Howling 3. That's, that's I think it's like the worst werewolf film I have in memory, and there's the whole orgy sequence in the, the second half, but I, I, I digress. Um, but there was, and then there was the, but there was the female werewolf in the howling at the end, uh, the newscaster. That was pretty cool. Oh shit! I just gave away the ending of that, didn't I? Well, if you haven't seen the howling yet, don't worry. It's still, still worth watching. I didn't give away too much. Shit. Uh, this this Twilight film's got me flustered, folks. I don't know if I can make it through a fourth one. I mean, the first one was kind of bad, but I watched that at home. Then the second one I saw in the theater, and, and that 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 was an experience that I didn't want to double, and it was way too uncomfortable being in in a theater with all those uh uh just blatantly uh ravenous teenage girls with really no concept of what relationships are because if if they had any kind of relationship uh, awareness then they they'd realize that the choice this girl has is not romantic it's actually kind of creepy and sad uh and is played out in trailer parks across the country uh as it's happening as we speak uh, and and the, the whole pained expression thing is only getting worse. I think it's a bit less in this film because I, I think that David uh, David Slade, David Slade, uh, I got the name right. David Slade. I have to double check myself because Joey's not here to correct me, so I actually have to correct myself while I'm working. 
Uh, I, I think he's new to the whole concept of making sure everybody looked pained every five seconds. So there's these lapses where the where the uh, main characters are actually smiling or look happy or look like they're not uh, racked with s- stomach ulcers. But there's still enough of the... Uh, and I mean, it, there, I, w- I would love for the DVD to come out to have the audio commentary track where in- instead of the dialogue, just whenever you see the character, they go, oh, oh, it, it's... It's either angst or constipation. I'm not sure. Uh, either one is just kind of too much to watch after a certain point. I mean, I mean, you knew I wasn't going to like this film. So if you if you if you tuned in and waited for me to give like any kind of credit to this shit, I, I really don't think you've been listening to the show that long. Uh, so I apologize. Go back and listen to some past episodes before you listen to me talk about the fourth Twilight film. I don't know what that's called. And that's a question I have, too. I don't get the titles of these goddamn films. The first one was called Twilight, and I kind of understand that because, ooh, he's a vampire, and they meet, and I guess Twilight kind of sounds cool. Then the second one's called New Moon. And, there, yeah, that kind of makes sense, too, because you reveal that Jacob's a vamp- uh, werewolf, sorry. And so it was like, oh, so you get it? New Moon. There's a new love interest, and he's a werewolf, so it's New Moon. What the fuck does Eclipse stand for? I don't understand. Is it supposed to be that one love eclipses the other? Is it supposed to be that that um, that love eclipses hatred? Is it supposed to be that that this film's uh, success will eclipse any hope I had that the general viewing public of America is intelligent and rational? I mean, what what the fuck does the eclipse stand for? I don't. I didn't care. I mean, I'm for a film as blatant as the, having the fire and ice Robert Robert Frost poem in the beginning. Why we gotta play coy with this eclipse shit? It's like she's just picking out random names that have to do with moons and, and darkness now. There's not even any real meaning behind it. She's just, oh, well, eclipse, eclipse sounds good. I don't even know what the fourth one is. I'm not looking it up either. Don't give a shit. I'm, I'm gonna have to deal with it enough soon. So, I mean, it, it, can you hear the agitation in my voice? This is not the kind of stuff I really need to be watching. Uh, I don't see much. I couldn't take too many notes while I was watching it. I'm trying to see if there's anything else I'm overlooking. You know, I, I don't think I have anything else to say because what what else is there to say? This this fucking melodramatic crap about this girl that's just begging to get just disemboweled or abused, and, and oh, I mean, fuck this! I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch a vamp with Grace Jones just to calm myself down and get back to where vampire movies used to be. I mean, Jesus! Even Frank Langella's Dracula wasn't this fucking bad. I mean, you know, yeah, that was it had the romance angle there, but at least it was still something to it. I just heard they're gonna they're talking about remaking Fright Night, which wouldn't bother me, which would bother me normally, except I heard Simon Pegg's supposed to be in it, so maybe that'll be cool if that happens. I haven't got any confirmation on that, but Jesus, enough with the fucking vampire romance drama shit. God, if I, I mean, and if you like this film, I'm not apologizing to you. I'm sorry, take it. Jeez, you know, admit you're watching trash. You can enjoy it. Just admit it's trash. I admit my films are trash that I enjoy when they're trash, and this is trash. They didn't even show any good trailers because the goddamn movie's so long, and they had to squeeze it in because it's still early in the summer, so it doesn't get really dark outside until 9 o'clock at night. So yeah, there's not even any good trailers because the movie's way too fucking long. So I didn't even have like the, that joy. And uh, It hurts. What else? I think that's it, guys. I think I'm going to wrap it up. I hit an hour here, and uh, that's going to be the match for me for now on until I get Joey involved. Uh, now, I know I promised I was going to talk about the uh, human centipede and dead time stories, but unfortunately, uh, this 
dribble came up instead, so I had to watch this and report to you. Uh, and my dead tor- my dead time stories copy actually is broken, so I have to get another copy now, which sucks. But I'm, I'm dying to review that nice old blast from the past, and I'll try to get a new review in too. Uh, maybe I'll do maybe I'll do Despicable Me. Maybe I don't know. I mean. Honestly, I think I've only seen two of the films that are in the top ten right now, and I've got to get on top of that for you guys because you, you really need me to start telling you which shit not to watch because apparently people have no idea. I, I don't even know how much money this movie's made yet, and I'm not even going to look. Uh, we'll post it up on Movie Sucktastic on uh, Monday. So if you want to check and see what the numbers are, check there, or check us on Facebook, and I'll put the numbers up Monday. And, uh, well, not even Monday. I mean, no, we'll have to do it Tuesday because of the 4th of July weekend. That's why they released the film frickin' Wednesday. You know, midnight showings Tuesday night. They they, they really went for a six day weekend too. So uh, I guarantee the numbers are going to be astronomical because they're padding it with that. I'm surprised it wasn't a fucking 3D. I mean, there's a shock. Oh yeah, they had a Harry Potter trailer. I I I, I tuned that out the minute I saw it, so I have no comment on that. Uh, I I just have no interest in that shit. Uh, I, I kind of went from happy to angry in the course of an hour. It's it's really. Uh, it's amazing the kind of effect this damn movie's had on me. If I was going to sum up the the past two reviews into some little uh, thumbnail uh, reviews, I guess it would be that Killers had the potential to be a good dark comedy but wasted it on laughs, and uh, Twilight Eclipse had the um, had the potential to, to royally piss me off and annoy me and irritate me and waste two and a half hours of my life, and did so with flying colors. Uh, and to any of the other guys out there that listen to this to actually watch the film, I, uh, I, I empathize, I share your pain, and I don't think there's anything we can do to stop the fourth one, so we're just going to have to grin and bear it and, and force through it. Of course, you probably went with, with uh, dates and girlfriends and stuff, and you had an excuse for why you had to see it. My excuse is you. I have, I have suffered through this piece of shit for you to bring you through to the other side and to explain to you what's happening. Oh, and if you want to talk about sacrifice, oh Jesus! There's a scene near the end where they're tr- they're trying to they're trying to bait the the massive twenty member vampire army to uh, to fight in an open field because apparently the open field the the explanation in the film is that the open field will give them an advantage where really the action sequence in the open field will give the director the advantage of filming the action from every angle without having to worry about obstruction of view and everything. Uh, there's, there's. When you're watching Twilight Eclipse and the film stops and tell explains something to you, every time the film explains why something has to happen to you, it's fucking lying. It really is. Not everything they explained just doesn't belong. It just doesn't work. Anyway, they try to bait them. Bella smears her blood because it'll infuriate them. Because vampires apparently are not used to the smell of blood at all, even though they can apparently smell it everywhere. And so they take her. For safekeeping, the the American Indian, who's uh, va- werewolf, and the the uh, cold-blooded vampire, who are both apparently old. Uh, the vampire is supposed Edward is supposedly old and wise. Uh, Jacob is apparent supposedly American Indian and knows something about nature. But between the two of them, they take Bella to the highest peak in Oregon, where a snowstorm happens through, and so she's dying of hypothermia. And so there's this big debate about, oh, should I let Jacob get close to her? And it's supposed to be this humorous thing. But afterwards, she cuddles with Jacob, and they fall asleep. And what what takes place after that is five to ten minutes of the most uncomfortable uh, male banter back and forth over a sleeping Bella 
that really started I was waiting for one of them to start reading the Robert Frost poem it's really I'm secure in my manhood I I have no I I don't scream uh I don't scream about homosexual homosexual undertones or anything in films like that I'm probably one of the few guys who did not have a problem with 300 and did not claim that it was like like, like gay recruitment propaganda I I I saw I had no I saw I really had no uh overwhelming feelings of dread, or or I did not like take away homoerotic undertones just because 300 had a lot of guys walking around out shirts the whole film. I am not one of those guys. But after five minutes of listening to Jacob and Edward, just this soft patter back and forth, I, I I'm feeling uncomfortable and I I'm getting a little bothered. And this is the kind of this is the kind of conversation be happening over tea at lunchtime, or this is the kind of thing you know this is. This is like girl talk. They, they, you're putting female dialogue in the male voices, and one of them is supposed to be a beefcake, the other guy's supposed to be hot. And Team Jacob or Team Edward, oh, they have teams. I guarantee the teams are bigger than the Vampire Army. That's someone paging me again. I, I guess I think it's a sign I should stop. I know I'm just ranting in circles. Uh, that sums it up, folks. Don't don't just. For the love of, you know, and, and please, you know what? Please, please, if you disagree with me, write to me. Tell me it's uh, the movie guys at moviesucktastic.com. Write to me at scott at smichaelwilson.com. Let me know exactly how much you disagree with me. Call me names if you want, please. I, I got a tough skin. I can take it. I will read them during the next show. Show these Avatar fans that they're pussies compared to the Twilight fans. Stand up for your stand up for your movie. Take me down. Knock me down a peg. Tell me exactly. Ask me, where the fuck do I get off knocking your film? I want to hear it. I'll read them on the air. You can catch us on Twitter, too. Post it on Twitter. Go to Facebook. Annoy my ass there. But just explain to me. Try to pass to me how this is actually good cinema and great reading material and not just a detrimental uh, commercial for teen spouse, teen female abuse. And it's just, oh, fuck. If you like this movie, let me know and give me a good reason, because otherwise, forget it. Uh, but like I said, next episode, I'll be talking about the human centipede and dead time stories, um, uh, unless I can squeeze in a new uh, release at that point. But I hope you guys have a happy 4th of July weekend. And uh, and yeah, just ha- have a happy 4th of July weekend. And, and remember, drink responsibly, drive safely. Don't go swimming until an hour after you've eaten, and the safest way to light fireworks is to use both hands with the lighter and hold the uh, firecracker or M80 between your teeth. Have a happy holiday, and I'll see you next week.